Hey all, good morning. My name is Brad Mould, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, um, a community pastor more specifically if we haven't had a chance to meet. And we are so glad that y'all are here. What a gift it is to be able to worship together um, and to be in God's Word together. Y'all, if um, you did not, if you weren't here last week, I want to be sure you were aware of something that Ashley had mentioned, um, an upcoming Galatians study. Uh, we are going to be shifting the lectionary. We're going to jump off the lectionary and dig into Galatians um, and we were going to start next week, but we're actually going to now start the 19th, which gives our neighborhood groups a few weeks just to get to know each other. Yeah, we had 500 people sign up for neighborhood groups, which is a weekly commitment to be able to walk in life together. I'm so excited about that. It's such a gift to be able to um, share life, to be accountable to one another, to encourage one another, to pray with one another, to be the church, like Jason said, in between Sundays where we get to go to church. We're excited about that. The Galatian study will find its way into those groups, but if you aren't in one of those groups, you have a way to access it as well. Uh, if you go to our website, you'll basically fill out a very, very, very short form that says, I want to receive information about the Galatian study, and stuff will find its way to you each week, which will be supplemental resources to dig into the study in your own life in the book of Galatians that will supplement Sundays, but also opportunities for you to maybe form your own group and to gather around God's Word together. If you don't have a group and you'd like to be placed in one, you can also check a box that'll get us um, the opportunity to be able to put you in a group. We're excited about that um, opportunity, I think, to dig into the, the Galatia study because it's both about our formation um, and it's about how we as a people are essential to our own formation in Christ, uh, which is a wonderful invitation, I think, in this season where it's been uh, so hard to find time together. Y'all, God's Word today is in Mark 7, so if you have your Bibles, open up. And it kind of bounces around, so we'll find it. But it's Mark 7, starts with 7 and 1. It says this, Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. Don't you love details like that in God's Word? It seems so arbitrary and fun. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God, and you hold to human tradition. And then they jump down to verse 14. Then he called the crowd again, and he said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Then verse 21, For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, Avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your word would pierce our hearts, God. We this morning recognize that the lectionary brings your word to us. Lord, we don't go and seek it out. So, Lord, we trust through the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you meant this word for us today in some way, shape, or form. God, we gather knowing that we bring so many different things. Lord, we're in so many different places. But, Lord, your promise is to meet us where we are. 
So this morning we ask that you'd meet us where we are, God, that your word would pierce our hearts, Lord, that we'd have tender hearts to receive, Lord, eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to listen, Lord, to the word. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Help us to trust you more today. God, we thank you that we get to sit together. Lord, we get to learn together. Lord, we get to be the body of family together, Lord. And I thank you for this family. Bless us with your peace and your presence. And propel us closer to being the people you want us to be, Lord, that you long for us to be, Lord, so that we can be a light to the world around us, God. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, honor of Chris, four points. Uh, pretty straightforward here. The first one is the most obvious one, I think, the most self-evident, is that Jesus has a bone to pick with the Pharisees. Uh, you have to not be able to read, to not see that over and over and over again, Jesus has something to say to the Pharisees, and it's not sweet words. He is rejecting them, and he's doing it forcefully. And the reason is, is that they're really influential leaders. In the Jewish culture, the Pharisees were heavily influential leaders at a religious level. And because the lines were kind of blurry between religion and politics, they were uh, wholly influential over the life of their people. They were the people who held a strict adherence to the rules and the traditions of their elders, as the word says, that were really derived from God's commandments. And so at some point, these rules and traditions were about the heart of God, which is, if you remember Jesus being asked, what's the commandment of God? He says to love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty much simplified there. Their job was to point people in that direction. They were intending to point people that direction, but somewhere along the way, Jesus says, they deviated from that course. At some point along the way, they became people whose rules and traditions weren't pointing people to the commandments of God, but instead they were actually pointing people away from the commandments of God. And the commandments of God are intended for our good. They're intended for human flourishing. They're intended to help us live right with God and therefore right with one another. And the Pharisees' rules and, and, and traditions, in essence, had deviated from this. They had warped the word and the commandments of God. And so instead of pointing people to God and to others, they actually were leading people in the other direction. They were leading people to self-reliance. And self-reliance is really just the, the statement that I don't need you. And whether that's to people or to God, it's the same thing. It's saying that I don't need you. I can live apart from you, which is really the ultimate and original sin, right? Like you think going all the way back to the garden, people said, I don't need you, Lord. I can live my life apart from you. It violates the first half of the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul is a rejection of that when we rely on ourselves. And when we say, I need to be in control, I need to be the one who controls outcomes. What we're doing in those spaces is we're moving away from the Lord. We're moving away from the life itself. And the second thing that these rules and traditions did by the Pharisees is they moved people towards self-preservation. So not only were they saying, you can kind of take your own life in your own hands, as, as we know, self-righteousness and Pharisees became synonymous, right? Like they said, you can be righteous on your own. You do this, you say that, you wear this, you wear that, you eat this, you don't eat that. You do those things and you find that you'll be right with God. And what they are saying is that you have the capacity for righteousness within yourself. And that's what self-reliance teaches us. We have a capacity to be made right within our own sense of self. And the Pharisees were teaching that, but they're also moving people towards self-preservation. 
They're moving people away from one another. God's word is intended to move us towards one another. His commandments are allowed to make us be at peace with God and therefore peace with one another. That's why at the end of the service, we always say, may the peace of Christ be with you. And you say, and also with you. And what the reality is, is that God's fruitfulness in our life is meant to move us towards one another. And the Pharisees' rules and traditions were moving people away from one another. They were moving people towards uniformity. They were doing that because they were surrounded by enemies. They were doing that because they wanted to be set apart. They wanted to feel more or less in control. They wanted to know who their friends were and who their foes were. They wanted to know who was with them and who was against them. And so they create these rules and traditions as a way of setting up uniformity, as a way in some ways to say, I know you're with me and I know you're not with me. You're safe and you're not safe. And that's what self-preservation does. It moves us into corners so we know who is for us and who is against us. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. Now, to be fair, they were actually surrounded by enemies, right? Like the clans, the tribes, the people around them, for thousands of years, they were warring with each other, trying to destroy one another. They were living in Roman occupation as well. So they literally had an oppressor that was oppressing them, that was overpowering them into coercion. And so I can have a little bit of empathy for them, right? Like the Pharisees can be the big bad people that you're like, I don't want to be that. But we can have a little bit of empathy for their instinct towards self-preservation, But the reality is, y'all, is the Pharisees, the Jewish people, were to be the people of God. And the people of God are are to be the people who embody God's way in such a way that points other people to him. Their lives are supposed to be the embodiment of where life is, the fullness of life, the wholeness of life. Life everlasting was meant to be embodied in the people of God, so much so that their lives pointed other people to God. And the Pharisees had warped the rule and the commandment of God to love him with our whole heart and to love others as yourselves in such a way that actually pointed people away from God, pointed people to self-reliance and self-preservation. And Jesus, I think, rightly rejects that over and over again. He says that is not the way to life. That is the way to death. And y'all, I think we have to pay attention to that because I think we have more in common with the Pharisees than we would care to admit. And that's the second point. We have a lot in common with the Pharisees, right? Like they, in their fear, move towards self-preservation and move towards self-reliant, and we do the same thing. They move towards control, and they move towards uniformity, and we move towards control, and we move towards uniformity all the time. Just look around, right? Like we're in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. These are our version of really hard times, and look how we, do, how we respond to the political unrest, social unrest, the cultural unrest, the economic unrest here in our country, our city, and all over the world. We've had a disease that's like seeped its way into every nook and cranny of our lives, and it's disrupted pretty much every single rhythm we ever had. We look around, and we feel like there's chaos. We look around, and like the Pharisees, maybe we see that there's enemies all around us, and we're scared, and we're full of fear. And in the same way that the Pharisees put up walls to control and to make people uniform so that they knew who was for and against them, I see us doing the same exact thing. I see us in our fear moving away from the Lord, and I see us moving away from one another. We're moving towards control, and we move towards uniformity, right? Like you look around, and you see how easy it is that we label one another, In this particular moment, think about the number of times in a day that you probably label somebody so you can identify who they are and whether they're for you or against you. 
You're a Trumpister, you're not. You're a mask person, you're not. You're a vaccine person, you're not. You're a reconciliation person, you're not. You're an equity person, you're not. You're a vaccine, who knows? The list goes on and on and on and on. And we do this because y'all, we are scared. We look around and we see uncertainty and it freaks us out. It makes us so unsettled. And in our unsettledness and in our fear, we do really dumb stuff. In our fear, instead of moving towards the Lord and moving towards one another, we put up walls around God and we put up walls around each other. And this is not God's way. He said, this is not the way towards life. And as I sat with this text all week, I've been challenged by this. I've been asking myself, how have I done this? How have I moved away from the Lord? How have I put people into boxes? How have I labeled people? Have I dismissed them by saying, oh, you're this or you're that, so I'm going to move away from you? Where have I moved to my corner? Where have I put people into a uniform? What ways am I operating out of control and uniformity just like the Pharisees? Y'all, the problem with control and the problem with uniformity is it does not represent the kingdom of God. We are made for the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is not marked by us being in control and us being uniformed. Right? Like, here's news for you. We're not in control. Like, in the kingdom of God, God is in control. God is God, and we are not. And I know that's hard for us to accept, but that's just the way things are. That's the reality of the way things are, and the sooner we learn that, the more we realize that we are walking towards life when we walk towards that truth, and we're walking away from life when we try to manufacture outcomes, when we feel the responsibility to be in control of all the things around us. That's not the way towards life. The same thing is true about uniformity. In the kingdom of God, uniformity is not the primary value. That is not the interest of God. What God is interested in is unity. Because the reality is is unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Uniformity says sameness. It says get in line. Kind of like the Pharisees. It says here's the boundaries. Here's what you need to wear. This is what you need to look like. Here's what you need to dress like. Here's what you need to listen to and not listen to. You do these things and you're good. Uniformity is about coercion. Uniformity is about power about control. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is marked by oneness. It's not marked by uniformity. It's marked by unity and oneness, not sameness, because unity requires trust. Unity requires trust. It requires a sense of us doing this thing together in submission to something that's good. Because what oneness is like is not sameness. And oneness, the kingdom of God, this is what heaven will look like. It's going to be all of us together submitted to Jesus. And the coolest thing about heaven is that when we submit Jesus together, when we submit to Jesus together, we become the fullest version of ourselves. The fullest version of ourselves. The most you you will ever be will be in the presence of Jesus. And that will be distinct. It will be unique. It'll be glorious. Heaven will not be robotic. We will not be like a bunch of machines that are mindless in this place. We will be the fullest version of ourselves because in that place of Jesus' presence, in the kingdom of God, moving in unison and harmony together, we will be the most free to be us. That is God's hope. That is his plan. That is his story. That is where this whole thing is leading us. The kingdom of God is not about uniformity. It's about unity. It's about submission 
if uniformity is about coercion and power, submission is about trust. And what we know is that trust is the bedrock of the kingdom of God. Trust in the goodness of God, in the goodness of God, that God is who he says he is. And God is constantly asking, will you trust me? Will you trust that I am who I say I am? Over and over and over, that's what we see in the scriptures, is God is calling us to trust him. But what we know about trust is trust is, is cultivated on the inside, right? Like trust is not an externalized thing. Uniformity requires little trust because you know that your uniform is what makes you sense a belonging. Trust, however, requires dis- discernment. It requires seeing into the hidden parts of something, right? Like we talk about this, and if you have kids, I talk about this all the time with my kids, your character, the hidden part of who you are. That is what matters. That is what lasts. That is what makes you you. Truly what makes you you is the hidden part of who you are. And that's character. That's the inside. And Jesus has something to say about the insides in this interaction. That's the third point is Jesus calls us to recognize our brokenness. He turns to the crowd after he rejects the Pharisees and he calls them out pretty forcefully. He then turns to the crowd and he says, y'all, there's nothing on the outside that's going to make you clean. That's not, the, that's not what's going to make you whole again. The things you do on the outside are not going to make you healed. For it's within that you're broken. It's from within that the bad things come out. The evil intention is what he calls it. And he goes on and gives a list to this. And he talks about evils like, like pride and lust and envy and adultery and deceit. And the truth is all of these things are not necessarily just sins that we commit against God. It's sins that we commit, commit against his creation, right? Like they're sins that we commit against each other. They're actions against one another. It's the sin against you and your sin against me. It's what we do to others and it's what others do to us. The reality of our brokenness is that manifests itself in relationship. It manifests itself in an outward way that we put up our walls, right? Like that's the fruit of our sin. Is that when we are hurt by one another, we put up walls. And when we put up walls, we move away from people. We move away from the people we love. We move away from our enemies. And God is saying that direction, going in that way, is leading you to death. Life apart from God, life apart from one another is a road to death. We are not meant for that. That's not what we're made for. And yet this is the cycle we live in, right? Like you hurt and I hurt and we hurt each other and we put up walls around us and we put up walls around us, especially the people we love, let alone our enemies. We are moving away from one another. We're moving away from the heart of God when we do that. And it's a cycle we live in. And then what happens is we learn, just like the Pharisees, to adapt this lifestyle of self-reliance and self-preservation hoping that it makes us feel safe, hoping that it makes us feel protected. And Jesus rejects this way of life. He says, this is not the way to life. The way to life is to reject self-reliance, is to reject self-preservation, to in faith, to be able to move towards God and towards one another in the faces of our fear, in the face of our hurt, in the face of our pain, to in faith move towards God and to one another. But we have to be honest, y'all. This, this requires risk, right? Like, to actually be honest about our brokenness with anybody requires risk. 
when we think about our relationship and the brokenness that you and I carry around with one another, to turn to your spouse or to turn to your best friend or to turn to your family and to say, here's who I am, that requires vulnerability and transparency that can scare the heck out of us. It takes courage to move on the way of Jesus. It takes courage to move towards vulnerability, to move away from self-reliance and self-preservation is, is, is really scary. It can be overwhelming to us. And that's our friends, right? Those are the people that we love. The people we're sitting next to right now are the people that we can be so overwhelmed and intimidated by about what it looks like to be vulnerable, let alone the people who we don't even know or people who we think oppose us, our enemies. Like the other people in our life that we look to and we say, they're not safe. And God is saying, move towards that person. Are you saying, look at the uncertainty around us in our lives, whether that's a family issue or whether that's a work issue, uncertainty in your professional life, uncertainty with a health issue? After the 9 a.m. service, was praying for somebody who has been uh, holding a child in a transitional place for a long time, a fostering situation for almost two years, knowing at any given moment that child can be taken away from them. And they're being asked in this moment by Jesus to believe that opening their hands to the reality of what they're facing is an act of faith and it is where life is. When everything in them is saying to do what? Like hold on tight, squeeze these things in real close. Don't let go of those things because you are not safe. And God's invitation to us through Jesus' words is to let go of these things and to hold them loosely. But that takes courage. It takes courage to do these things. It takes courage to look towards our fears and to move towards them, to move away from self-reliance and self-preservation is a move towards darkness. It's a move towards uncertainty. And everything in us says, by the lie that self-preservation, self-reliance is going to make us safe, right? It's going to be the thing that protects us. I mean, we look for the love at the life of Jesus, right? Like, where did Jesus' life take him? This is why the gospel is so fascinating to me. This is why I became a believer in some part 25 years ago as I looked at this story and saw a God who went a way that brought him to the cross and to death. And that was supposed to be like a good sales pitch, right? But the beauty of what we recognize and what we celebrate each and every week from this place is we come to this place to remember that what's the end of that story? It's the resurrection. Y'all, the end of the story is resurrection, that Jesus' way to reject self-reliance, to reject self-preservation, to move towards the darkness in himself and towards the people around him and the world around him in the face of enemies that opposed him, that led to his death and led to his torture, that the end of that story is the fullness of life. That's the resurrection power of God. The God said there's no way around the cross. You've got to go through the cross to get to the real life. You've got to go through the cross to find that there is no limit to God's redemptive hand. God is calling to bring new life, but he brings life out of death. He brings life out of darkness, and he's calling you and me to go into those spaces, to not run from them, to not pay heed to the instincts that we have for self-preservation and self-reliance, but to do the exact opposite. And that's where this comes into this fourth point, this invitation from Jesus, this invitation to move towards the darkness, to move into the places of uncertainty. And it's risky. And this is what's beautiful, I think. And this is maybe what's remarkable about why the, the phrase, the church is the hope of the world. 
Because the church, the big C church, not Trinity, but the big C church is a people who over time have said yes to this invitation. That in light of all the evidence to not do this, all the reasons in the world to put up walls and all the reasons in the world to rely on themselves, the church, the people of God, have chosen to move towards uncertainty into the chaos, into the enemy territory, into the places of uncertainty, of darkness and hurt and pain, and trusting that in faith, God will reveal his resurrection power. In faith, God will reveal the goodness of his promises. It's the places where we go that we go into the darkest places where the lightness of God overcomes. That God is good to his words, John tells us. That the light entered the world and the place was dark and the light overcame the darkness. Y'all, this is what the church has always aspired to be. The church has always aspired to be a people who run into these places. It's the places like Haiti, which is full of political unrest right now. It's the places like Afghanistan that are full of war and chaos. It's why the church has had a history of running into famines and into plagues. It's why the church has created liturgies like confession. Because it's an invitation to move into the dark places. It's not an invitation to run from them. It's an invitation to reject self-preservation and self-reliance and to put ourselves before the Lord in the darkest places and say, Lord, come into this place and bring healing and bring wholeness. It is certainly an act of faith. But it's an invitation to go into those places, not with our eyes closed and shut and hoping with our fingers crossed, not with our head in the sand. It's with eyes wide open that we go into this place to experience the goodness of God It's the places where we go where we get to experience God's redemptive power. And so Jesus invites us to let the light in. He invites us to let the light in to these places. And y'all, what's going to be true for us as a body has to be true with us as individuals. This is how this whole thing starts. You and I have to make choices as individuals to lean into this invitation so that the body can flourish the way it's meant to flourish. We have to be a people who long for authenticity and honesty about where we adopt self-reliance, right? If self-reliance is about control, it's about rejecting God's way, where in our lives are we honest about the fact that we are like grasping for control, where we are holding on tightly to the outcomes of what we hope for, whether that's in our work or whether that's in our relationships, whether it's in any aspect of our life, we have to be honest about where we are holding on to tightly. Where are we saying no to God in these spaces and places? Where is God maybe asking us to take a risk? And he's asking us to step with one foot off the ledge here. And where we're saying, I'm good. I'm going to back up. I'm going to back away from that place. But y'all, the kingdom of God is about risk. It's just in its DNA. It's constantly inviting us to trust that God is who he says he is. The only way we experience that God is who he says he is is when we get beyond our limitations. When we get beyond the things we know that we can no longer do, and are we honest about those limitations? Are we honest about the things that we can do? And are we honest about the things that we can't do? One of the things I love about getting older is that you become more and more aware of your limitations. You become more and more honest about your limitations. I have this working theory that basically at age 27, you realize life isn't linear. Life is not a straight line. A does not lead to B, B doesn't lead to C. And up to that point, your whole life, you're like, I just want to get A right so I can get on to B. I want to do B right so I can get on to the C. And at some point, 
right? Life catches up to you. And you realize that life is more like a zigzag or a chaotic mess. And the invitation in that place of recognizing that limitations is that we can either double down on control, we can double down on squeezing, or we can learn to let go. And when we let go, we see that God is in control. And we see that we can experience the goodness of God. But we have to be honest, about our, we have to be honest with ourselves about how we squeeze, how we hold on to things. The second thing we have to be honest about is our self-preservation, right? Like self-preservation says, move away from people, put them into categories and label them. Know who is for you and who's against you. Don't go into enemy territory in that sense. Put walls around you. But we have to be honest about the walls that we've put up, the walls that we put up against each other as friends, as spouses, as girlfriends or boyfriends, as coworkers. What are the walls that I've created to put, me, put space between me and you so I can feel safe? We have to be honest about those places because when we're honest about these things, about self-reliance and self-preservation is where the light of God can come into. It's where we can reject self-preservation and self-reliance and we can realize that God is who he says he is. We can experience that God is who he says he is. And that's the call of the church. That's God's invitation to you and to me to be those types of people for the sake of the world, for the hope of the world. But what we know is that we don't do that in like a moment, right? You don't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden those things become real. We do that little by little by little, one step at a time. And I think one of the first steps that we take in that reality is a step to acknowledging our brokenness. That's why we have a weekly rhythm. The wisdom of the, the, the church fathers has given us this rhythm where we come to this table. But before we come to this table to be fed and to be nourished and to be strengthened, we acknowledge our limitations. We acknowledge our need. We acknowledge where we've moved away from God and where we've moved away from one another. And acknowledging that, acknowledging the reality of the need and the brokenness that we have is where God meets us in that place. Jesus meets us in that place and he feeds us in that place. He nourishes us in that place. He gives us strength in that place. And it's counterintuitive to find wholeness and healing, to find real abundant life. It's not in our hands. It's in the submission into the hands of a trusting God that is who he says he is. So let's accept that invitation. Let's take those steps because when Jesus meets us in those places, he gives us courage. He builds strength in us so that when we leave this place, we are people full of courage and strength to be the people who God calls us to be, to be the hope of the world. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand if you're able.